Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here at the world headquarters of the ever-diminishing Common Sense Brigade. This is, of course, Talk Radio. Over the weekend, we were plunged further into the world of doom and gloom by a Prime Minister increasingly driven by an invisible hand that keeps pointing towards the Grim Reaper. It's not clear whether his career will come to an end before the Omicron variant actually kills someone, but he certainly seems convinced, does he not, that things can only get worse, despite all the figures coming out of South Africa. Meanwhile, the NHS doom mongers are still banging the drum about stopping the health service from being overrun, crippled or otherwise engulfed by people who are sick. Here's a suggestion, Prime Minister. Why don't you try and fix the bloody NHS so that it can actually cope with a winter full of people who need treatment? After all, that's what it's supposed to be for, isn't it? This morning, we will take the temperature of the nation, a day ahead of what could be the biggest Tory rebellion in many a year over vaccine passports and further COVID restrictions. So John Redwood joins us with his take on why Downing Street has got it so wrong. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we've got Peter Hitchens with his take on the freedoms we fought so hard to gain, but which have been eroded over the last two years. Have we really reached a point where Boris Johnson can now simply pre-record his announcement so that dinner isn't disturbed in the household? And Simon Calder is here as well with an explanation as to why red list countries are shortly to be given their status back and travellers will be able to simply test before arrival. 0344 499 1000. There's some wokery to report on. There's a shortage of the day. And I'll be telling you what I think of the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes whining after losing the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And we'll be paying a visit to David Taggart, our man in a quarantine hotel near Gatwick, for his day eight experience. Apparently, there was a fire alarm over the weekend and everyone had to get out and stand together in the car park. Marvellous, isn't it? They're supposed to be quarantining separately from one another. 0344 499 1000. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you doing? Have you been told to work from home? Has your Christmas party been cancelled? You tell us and we will tell everybody else. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there are certain times when you think it can't get any worse, can it? Can it get any worse? No, I don't think it can. Surely to heavens. We've seen the worst of it. Surely to heavens, the Omicron variant doesn't appear to be that dangerous. Surely to heavens, the Omicron variant hasn't killed anyone. Surely to heavens, the Omicron variant hasn't really put anybody in hospital. Apparently, there are 10 people in hospital uh, who have the Omicron variant, but it's not clear whether they went into hospital with it or went into hospital with something else and then got it. So the papers this morning are full, chock full of instances of people getting boosters. The big um, sort of government instruction now, get a booster. 
get a booster. It seems to be the only government policy now that Boris Johnson wants to actually power out. Let's talk to Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP for Wokingham. He's been quite vocal uh, in the last week or so about how he feels about the economy, how he feels about prime ministerial um, sort of policy on COVID and how he feels about what is going on and what the vote is going to be doing tomorrow. So, John, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I've been enjoying your um, your occasional tweets about this because uh, it seems to me you, amongst many Conservative MPs that I would regard as proper Conservative MPs, are slightly concerned uh, about the direction of travel with this government. Yes, indeed. I think we need to take the economic issues more seriously. I'm all for having strong medical and scientific advice in the room because we don't want to take undue risks. But we need to balance that, don't we, Mike, against mm. our freedoms and about the need to promote a more active recovery. And we were having a good recovery from the early lockdowns for the first half of this year. It's now slowed to a halt and the government should be more worried about that. So I'm saying to them, cancel the national insurance tax rise, get behind business and individuals who, who want to make things happen and don't make life quite so difficult for everybody. No, quite. Because there have been many people who have said to me over the past week or so, you know, this was going to be the bounce back Christmas. This was going to be uh, our opportunity to make back all the money that we lost last year, because Christmas for many people, particularly in hospitality, is more than just one month's worth of, of money. It's yeah. like four months worth of money, you know, yeah, and this yeah. is the amount and this is what they look forward to. And so many Christmas parties are being cancelled. So much business is now disappearing that people aren't going to have that bounce back uh, ability that they hoped for. No, that's right. And of course, um, I and other MPs will be going to Westminster again to our place of work and mixing with each other at our place of work, uh, particularly to debate these new measures. And so if that is all right to do, uh, can't we just let other people and other businesses make their own decision about how they can operate as safely as possible? And I think, you know, we're in a much better world now than when the virus first hit, because the World Health Organization says these vaccines are going to work against Omicron. It appears that you're very unlikely to get a serious version of the disease or to die if you get Omicron, thanks to the vaccines, if you've had, had all your jabs. Uh, and we've also got used to the idea that businesses can enable quite a lot of their staff to work from home if that is mutually agreed. So people have options. We, we, we don't want to make people do things they don't want to do. Uh, but that should also apply to the government. They shouldn't think there's one rule that will suit everybody, apart from perhaps some senior civil servants in the government who don't obey it. No, quite. Are you worried about that as well? Because, I mean, clearly there has been a bit of a, um, a hiccup, if you like, in terms of the government's sort of um, ability to convince others to behave as they should or as they would like them to, given that the advantage uh, uh, of being in Parliament or being in Downing Street is apparently you don't have to worry about the rules. You can just do what you like. Well, I think we're... We need to clear this up very quickly. And I think the Prime Minister is right to say to the Cabinet Secretary, tell me what happened. And I, I think he then needs to take disciplinary action with senior officials, if it appears uh, that senior officials did organise illegal parties when the rest of us were told not to. Um, that, that is unacceptable. Those who make the rules and lecture the rest of us on how we must obey the rules should, should surely take the rules even more seriously for themselves. Well, you would think they might be a bit worried at being caught out apart from anything else, but they don't seem to have realised the thing that we all know now, which is that pretty much everybody is on a phone of some kind or other, no matter where they are uh, in the world uh, at any given time. Somebody's recording it and somebody will find out what you've been doing. Yeah, you'd have thought self-preservation, but, but surely more importantly, Mike, they were telling us 
that we had to do these things for the sake of our safety and the safety of our friends and family and neighbours. Um, and if they really believed these things were vital to safety, there would be no question of them breaking the rules themselves. That, that's why this is a serious possible infringement of the rules and why we need to clear it up. Did they break the rules? If so, take some action. If they didn't break the rules, then their critics have got a lot of apologising to do. Yes, I think that's right. What about tomorrow um, and the vote? Because there's going to be a large rebellion by the looks of things. Could be as much as 65 Tory MPs, possibly. Um, I think you may be one of them who are not going to go along with uh, these extra um, sort of, you know, work from home rules, the extra mask wearing, the extra uh, COVID restrictions that, that are being brought in. Um, what, what do you think that message is going to be that you send to the Prime Minister tomorrow? Well, I think the biggest rebellion in terms of votes, votes against and abstentions is likely to be on uh, what some people call the vaccine passport and the, and the government says it's not a proper vaccine passport. And I think there's a growing worry um, that these temporary infringements of liberty are extending and extending and extending and are becoming built into a system based on papers and computer records and, and governments watching what we do. Yeah. And so I think you you should expect quite a big rebellion on that. And I hope the message goes home to the government uh, that we've gone along with quite a lot of things we didn't like in the wider public interest on the grounds they were going to be transitory. Now we see that there is a, a better response. There are more drugs that treat this disease, that there are vaccines that look pretty effective against this disease. Surely then we should be excused these unusual restrictions on our liberties and freedoms. Yeah, exactly right. But when is the government going to realise that your arguments on this and others who are in the Conservative Party who are against these restrictions, um, when are they going to realise that they're barking up the wrong tree here? Well, I don't know. I'm, we live in hope, don't we? I mean, I think probably um, the Prime Minister would say, uh, look, he has listened and that this latest round of proposals is not as severe as, as the one we faced when the virus first hit, mm. nor should it be, because, as I've said, uh, medical science uh, is now much better prepared uh, and we trust that our hospitals uh, and surgeries are much better prepared. And I'm also trying to get the government engaged in something I know they're concerned about, which is that rightly we uh, tipped a lot of extra money into the health service and there's more extra money to come. We're not trying to starve it cash, but we, we need some reassurance that this money is going to buy the extra capacity. It's the point you made in your introduction that why, why are we happily voting lots of extra money for the health service because we want health service that has the capacity to get us through a winter and in a winter you can have nasty bouts of flu you could have nasty bouts of covid there are all sorts of things that can haunt you in a winter uh, and we want to know that that money is spent to provide the nurses doctors beds capacity drugs that we need to get through why 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 wouldn't the money do that well, exactly right. But every single year, John, we get told the same thing. The message is always exactly the same. I was listening to somebody the other day from NHS providers saying, oh, well, you know, it's a very difficult time of the year. We're under a lot of pressure already. We're already operating at maximum capacity. And it's like, well, I mean, if you were running a business like that, you'd be fired because you would consistently hope every year to improve the capacity. Because if you know that it's coming, surely what you do is you take account of that and you improve uh, from last year. But every single year in the NHS, it seems to be the same problem. Well, I agree. And it's something I've never really understood about health service management over the years, that every government's put more money in. And there have been arguments about some governments putting more extra in than other governments. And, Health service would obviously like to be at the top end of expectations on the amount of extra money. 
but despite that, the number of beds has either stayed constant or has fallen. And, and yet beds are obviously a very important part of delivering capacity. We, we see now people sitting in ambulances outside hospitals because there aren't beds immediately available for them to go into, which is dreadful. So why have we been cutting back beds over the years instead of increasing the number of beds? And if we needed a bit of extra money to increase the number of beds, why didn't, we, why didn't the administrator say so? Because I, I can't believe any government would actually block them if they'd said, yes, give us a couple of billion extra and we're providing so many beds extra. Indeed, we, we backed the idea of having a lot of extra beds through the Nightingales to relieve the pressures on district generals to deal with COVID. But then they didn't seem to want to use those very much and shut them down at the first mm. available opportunity. Why right. didn't we carry on with specialist COVID units uh, to keep the main district general hospitals free of COVID because cross-infection was clearly a big problem. Right. But once again, we're being told now by the NHS that everything else is going to be put on hold and everything else goes onto the back burner. So more people than ever uh, will be waiting for uh, an opportunity to go and get themselves sorted out. More people than ever will be waiting even longer for an operation. We were hearing last week that I think more than um, uh, several thousands of people are waiting more than 12 hours in an a every time they go to an A&E department. You know, that seemed to be much about the NHS that works. I'm getting a lot of tweets this morning from people saying they're trying to get their booster, um, but the queuing system can't cope and it's already crashing all over the place. You know, I don't think there's anything that the NHS can do that works properly. Well, again, we, we need to ask the administrators and executives to give accurate reports to the Secretary of State and to Parliament and to supervise a better set of answers, don't we? Um, and I'm, I know from my own local area that there are lots of recently retired nurses and doctors um, who would be willing to come back uh, to help with the back vaccination tasks so that the, the mainstream doctors in employment can carry on with all the other things. Because what we don't want to do is to end up with a lot of other things, killing people for want of treatment mm. and timely care um, because we're preoccupied by COVID. No, quite. And you've also, I don't know whether you've been paying attention to what Steve Baker's been doing over the last few days. Steve Baker, mm. um, I think rather laudably, has decided to sort of launch a back to basics. Uh, I know that's not a great phrase that uh, probably shouldn't read. It's certainly way forward, I think, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, let's try and get conservatism back on track. You know, let's look at what this government is doing, point out that actually an awful lot of what it's doing is not terribly conservative. And let's regain and recapture, um, you know, the, the, the spirit of conservatism, if you like, and, and move forward with that. Um, what's your view of that? Well, I wish Steve well. I mean, he's a very useful contributor to the debate. I mean, I do my own little bit through JohnEdward.com. I put out every day some news, analysis, comment, ideas that I think show conservatism with a small c is an important set of principles and life view that is pretty popular and can help with solving some of the problems of the day. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad Steve is setting up this wider grouping and I wish him every success with it. Yeah. Is it likely to cause him um, any angst, do you think, from the government? Is the government going to take notice of it? Is he, is he kind of blowing into the wind? What's, what, what, what do you think they're going to do about it? Well, I hope they, they listen and engage with him because I think it's well meant. He's a supporter of Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. It's not part of a leadership bid or anything like that that we read about from some other people. Um, but it, it is a, a genuine attempt to provide some more intellectual content to show people there are a range of options that can preserve people's freedoms, promote economic recovery, uh, whilst also enabling us to have 
good health treatment and sensible precautions. Oh, absolutely right. Stay with us, Sir John, if you can. We're going to talk to you about a couple of other things, including the energy problem, the EU, uh, many things as well that we want to talk to Sir John Redwood about. We will take more of your calls coming up later on, of course, as well. 0344 499 uh, I've got a text here from somebody who doesn't give a name. The NHS website is overwhelmed and the queuing system can't cope. I can't therefore book my booster. Why does our inept Prime Minister make pointless promises without checking that the system can cope? Well, I think it's easy to find out whether or not the NHS can cope because basically it can't. Everything that the NHS does, it's overwhelmed. I, you know, every single minute of every single day. Try and get uh, through to a GP. Try and get a doctor's appointment. Try and get yourself uh, to the knee um, surgery. Try to get yourself uh, into a hospital A&E department without waiting for hours on end. There is literally nothing about the NHS that works. Talk radio. Best recipe ever. Pan-national agitated debate and discussion. Radio with an answer for everything. Powered by your opinions. Something to talk about. Talk radio. A home of common sense. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots to do today. Peter Hitchens is going to be here after 11 o'clock, of course. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the debacle in Abu Dhabi yesterday when Lewis Hamilton was apparently, according to a lot of the newspapers this morning, robbed uh, of his eighth Formula One title. Uh, I've got something to say about that. I've also got some wokery to report to you. There was actually, uh, over the course of the weekend, a bizarre story from America uh, where the commander of a US naval ship uh, was actually relieved of his command because he refused to have two vaccines. He's claiming um, a religious exemption, but apparently they wouldn't have that. And so now uh, they're actually making themselves weaker by taking good operational officers away from the bridge of ships because they haven't been double vaccinated. It seems a bit weird, doesn't it? We're talking to Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP for Wokingham here right now. Uh, Sir John, let me ask you about a tweet you put out um, earlier on today, I think it was, about uh, uh, the EU and about energy. I mean, our energy supplies clearly in this country are woeful. Uh, We need to do something about that. I would like to see Boris Johnson moving more towards that rather than listening to his sort of green agenda. Uh, You're basically saying we should not be any more reliant on the EU than we are already. Tell us about that. Yes, indeed. And and I I read that uh, the government is encouraging more people to come forward with investment plans to put in so-called interconnectors, great big cables Mm. under the sea. We've already got several of these interconnectors. They're largely used for importing electricity from the continent of Europe. Uh, And I'm sure the aim of this is to make us even more reliant on imports of power from the continent. Now, why? Because we're energy richer than the continent. And yet the the policy seems to be to shut down our oil and gas and to make us only reliant on wind power, which is interruptible. And then when the predictable happens and there is no wind to ring up the continent and say, oh, by the way, we're going to import a whole load of electricity. And you'd have to pay a load of money to keep that capacity uh, in existence Mm. and so forth. So I'm urging the government to have a proper balance of of power generated in Britain and to go for national self-sufficiency because we all know that the European Union is critically dependent on Mr Putin's goodwill and all the gas that Russia supplies to the continent. Yes, and given what's going on on the border of Ukraine and um, uh, at the moment and Russia, it doesn't look like a good place to be reliant upon, does it? No, not at all. And, and there's a huge row going on, as many of your uh, listeners and watchers will know, um, that they put in a huge new pipeline to import yet more gas from Russia, pipe called Nord Stream 2 to go direct from Russia to Germany rather than some of it coming via Ukraine. Um, Quite difficult for Ukraine who earn the revenues at the moment on the existing pipe. 
uh, but also increasing Germany and therefore the wider EU's dependence on Russian gas at exactly the time when we know that Mr. Putin will use the gas for political purposes. Mm. Now, why do that? And if they want to do that, we should have nothing to do with it whatsoever. And we should ensure that we use our own gas and then our own renewables as we get enough renewables on stream that work when there is no wind. Sure. Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? And just going back to the vote tomorrow, John, um, obviously we expect the Labour Party to vote with the government, which is a rather curious thing for an opposition to do in every single instance. Whenever it comes to COVID, they seem to want to make everything worse uh, and and clamp down on the economy even more. Um, I mean, how many Labour MPs would you need to defeat this? Well, we'd need the whole of the Labour Party to join with us. We'd need the opposition to oppose. And then there are quite enough Conservative MPs to stop the thing um, if the whole of the opposition oppose. But they won't, as we know, because it's not just Labour, it's also the SNP. And yeah. they're, they're queuing up to put more controls over us. And they're criticising the government from the other perspective, saying, you know, why don't we have a proper lockdown, full lockdown, which would be completely devastating yeah. yet again for that big chunk of the economy and hospitality, leisure, travel, all the things that need social contact. Well, that's right. And I mean, it's already going to be a problem, isn't it? I mean, I'm not at all confident that we will not see yet another statement from Boris Johnson in the next week or two uh, in which he puts even tougher restrictions on. Well, let's hope not. And and let's hope um, those who say that Omicron um, is milder than the existing variants. And let's hope all those who tell us that the vaccines are going to stand up and do their job are right. And so then we won't see this great rush on hospital places. And then surely the government will see that it would be silly to panic further. Right. You would think so. And what about Boris Johnson's tenure? Um, what's your take on um, whether he stays in uh, for the full term, whether he actually takes you into the next election? My my sense is that he doesn't do that. And after what happened last week with Partygate and a lot of the disenchantment within the party of his kind of direction of travel, as I said, I wonder whether he won't be around this time next year. Well, I and, and my members supported Boris Johnson for leadership. We're, we're still wanting him to succeed and do well. So I'm still in the business of putting forward ideas to him and his colleagues to say, look, you've, you've got a great privilege, you've got a majority, um, you've got some things right, um, you, you've got the kind of Brexit done, although we need to improve it, you, you found the vaccines early for us, which has made a big difference. So let's go on from there. So I'm, I'm in, the, in the role of one who wants to constructively engage. I'm not in the business of forecasting in the future. No, indeed. But you also are one who is not that keen on raising taxes. You're not that keen on um, Rishi Sunak pretending to be um, the Chancellor of low tax while continually putting it up. Um, when will that stop? Well, I don't know. And again, it's, you know, it's heartfelt advice. Um, I like what Rishi Sunak says. He says he's a low tax Chancellor and he believes in tax cuts. So I say to him, well, you're the Chancellor. Um, you've got a majority for tax cuts. I can assure you the Tories would be there in their droves to vote for those. So let's just get on with it, Mike. Yeah. What's holding them back? And and they, they seem to buy the, this Treasury pessimism that unless they put taxes up, the deficit will be too big. Well, I've got news for them. If they put taxes up, the deficit will be too big. They're going to slow the economy much more than they should do. And the deficit actually rises if you slow the economy because you get less tax revenue in because there's less going on to tax. And you have more welfare expenditure because mm. there are fewer people in decent jobs. Yeah. So I say to them, go for growth. And you will find, as we found before with good periods of conservative government, you cut the tax rates and the revenue pours in, Mike. You get a big increase. You can afford more. You can afford a better health service. 
if you go for this austerity model, which the Treasury officials seem to want, yeah, you're going to end up with a bigger deficit and everybody miserable. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Time to get the Conservative Party back to being the Conservative Party. I would thoroughly support you in that. So, John Redwood, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Conservative MP for Wokingham there. Very sensible man. Talks an awful lot uh, of traditional Conservative policies as well. Because what we seem to have forgotten here, uh, with all of the madness around Partygate, uh, with Boris Johnson and his new baby, and Boris Johnson uh, and all of his enemies that are firing on him from outside of Downing Street, Boris Johnson and all of the things that have been going on inside of Downing Street, is that the bottom line for me, is that Boris Johnson has betrayed those people who voted for him in 2019. He has betrayed um, the core values of Conservative policy. He's betrayed the core values of Conservative voters. Conservative voters are interested in low tax and high uh, ability to spend their own money. Conservative voters do not wish there to be a green agenda about saving the planet uh, by buying one electric car at a time. They do not believe in shutting down the economy in order to stop themselves catching a cold. I'm sorry, that is not the Boris Johnson that was voted in. That was not the Conservative Party that was voted in. And the sooner Boris realises that, the better. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, let us now, uh, however, speak to Simon Calder, traveller of The Independent, the man who really knows a thing or two about what's going on out there, because uh, a couple of weird things have happened this morning. The red list countries would appear to be now about to be no longer red list countries, which, considering the amount of worry that the government seems to be spreading around about Omicron, uh, seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Simon, a very good morning to you. Uh, yeah, good morning, Mike. It is a little bit odd. Yeah. I've been obviously trying to chase this. So let's just spin back. Two weeks ago, we were told by the health secretary, Sajid Javid, mm. that we had to have the red list brought back because of a dangerous new variant. It was called Omicron. And so, first of all, six Southern African countries were put on the list. That's been expanded to 11 African countries mm. now, including uh, Nigeria and South Africa. So very, very important in terms of family visits, um, in, in terms of uh, uh, Christmas trips of all sorts. And it looks increasingly untenable because, to repeat the health secretary's words back to him, yeah, we want to protect public health against this um, this variant of concern. Well, we were just hearing last night from the prime minister that we've got a tidal wave of it already here. So imagine <laughs> if you were sitting around in a, a hotel on Isolation Row at Heathrow or even worse at Luton or Milton Keynes, yeah. you're paying 200 and something pounds a night um, for uh, a budget hotel and three meals a day, um, you're going to be thinking, hang on, so I'm here to protect the British public. But actually, if anybody's being protected, it's probably yes. me because we've got this tidal wave or uh, of, of um, uh, COVID. So it's going to be going. Um, you will have seen possibly leaks in the mail mm. saying uh, that um, Grant Shapps has persuaded the government uh, that the red list should end. Um, I've tried the uh, Department for Transport since he's the Transport Secretary. They say they have absolutely no idea, Mike, where that story could have come from. And personally, I can't think of anywhere either where it might possibly have emerged from uh, saying that the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps wants to end the red list. But there we are. Leave that to one side. I think it is now pretty certain it will end. The crucial thing is to all those people who are listening and watching on Isolation Row, are they going to be let out of, uh, out early? So um, when Ireland, for instance, about three months ago said, Hang on, I'm the chief medical officer. I've had a look. I can't see any point doing this. 
um, they let everybody out that minute. Um, I don't know if uh, they're going to be doing the same here. Uh, previous forms suggest that no, you you come in. Uh, suppose you come in from South Africa at six o'clock in the morning, at eight o'clock in the, and you go into hotel quarantine. Eight o'clock that morning, the government says we're ditching hotel quarantine. You are still going to be in till Christmas, my friend. Well, that's the trouble. We've actually got a correspondent. You'll be uh, not surprised to know because we are all over the place here at uh, the Independent Republic. Uh, a guy who is actually in a quarantine hotel uh, who's been talking to us all last week. Today is day eight uh, that he has to take his day eight test. But he said to us he took his day two test, having arrived in this country with a with a with a negative test already in order to fly. He then tested negative on day two and said, "Can I get out now?" And they went, no, you have to wait till day eight. Uh, can you get out then? No, you've got to wait for 10 days. He's going to tell us, I think, today uh, that there was a fire alarm at the hotel and everybody was um, hurriedly evacuated from said hotel and made to stand together uh, in quite a small group, tightly knit in the car park. Oh, sure. Well, there's loads and loads of examples <laughs> of this. Um, so, for example, we had a good old points failure at Newark. Uh, yesterday afternoon, oh, which yeah. meant that um, uh, King's Cross Station, I went along to take a look because I was being to told of, of what chaos there was, just hundreds and hundreds of people sitting on the floor, standing around, crowding around. And this is simply because um, we, can, we can't seem to run a, uh, a, a rail network. Yes, of, of my sympathy goes out to anybody in hotel quarantine, not least because it's always been completely optional. Mm. Um, you don't need to go into hotel quarantine. Go and have a holiday for 11 nights in Egypt instead. Yes. It's much cheaper and much nicer. Um, so uh, that that's my advice to anybody who's... who's yes, that's uh, interesting. But I've in. often wondered about that, actually, that if you were knowing, knowing that you were supposed to come back into a, a quarantine situation, you could just stay away and go to another country, couldn't you, where there is no quarantine? Yeah, and I'm not telling people to do anything that's unlawful, anything that's a loophole. It is Certainly just not. the law. The government wants to know where you've been in the past 10 days. And if you say, I've been in, in um, Egypt, look at my town, it's absolutely great. And here's a, here's a, mm. a, 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 a um, pyramid fridge magnet um <laughs> uh, then um yeah well that's fine and uh, my goodness me you can get some really good bargains so you're gonna have to fly yourself from johannesburg or from lagos to to cairo and that's going to cost you 300 smackers approximately um but even then when you've booked a nice hotel and uh, a, a flight back from uh, maybe sharm el sheikh you are still looking at perhaps mm. sort of five or seven hundred quid as opposed to um the money that uh, is being demanded for hotel quarantine. And you would have just had a lovely holiday. And it'll be more pleasant. Absolutely right. Speaking yeah. of bargains, I see you've got a list of uh, some rather cheap uh, sort of last minute getaways. What? Tell us about those. Well, it's not right. Normally, this time of year, you and I would be saying, oh, crikey, have you seen the prices those holiday companies, those airlines are charging for Christmas getaways? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's terrible. Now I'm saying what? So going out from beautiful Cardiff, I can't imagine why anybody would rather be in the Costa Blanca of, of Spain mm. uh, for Christmas and New Year rather than in Cardiff. But, um, well, but there yeah, we are. There's no county um, for taste. Exactly. Um, that's going to cost you £350 per person. That's £25 per day mm. for being in uh, on the Costa Blanca. That includes your flights, your transfers, your uh, baggage, your accommodation and so on. Um, going to Malta on the... Uh, 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 on, on the 19th, so on Sunday, for a week, 
from from uh, Manchester with Jet 2, that's going to cost you £258, so £37 a day, and they'll even chuck in your, your breakfast. Um, if you're looking at flight-only deals, it's ridiculous. Going out on Wednesday the 22nd from uh, Liverpool to uh, Alicante in Spain, that's going to cost you £20 return, and you can come back on Boxing Day or one of the two following days. These are just ridiculous prices that travel industry says and we know exactly why that these yeah we can't flog anything it's because the extra onerous testing rules that have just been brought in over the past two weeks right. of course we've had uh, uh you've got to have a pcr test um and self-isolate till that appears and you've got to have a pre-departure test as well um this is adding cost complexity self-isolation yeah. so no wonder people aren't uh snapping well, it's up all, the yeah, it's, also, it's also offering offering up unfortunately the risk of uh, getting a positive test while you're abroad and having to quarantine there Oh, sure. Yeah. Lots and lots of people. I mean, that's what did for my trip to America, basically, because I thought I just can't risk that. Yeah. I I mean, uh, obviously, lots and lots of um, uh, uh, risks out there um, and many people have been put off by that. But also, I I think, Mike, um, knowing your lovely uh, listeners and viewers, they might well, some of them be saying, hang on. Uh, So, well, you're you're complaining um, about a test before you border flight to come to the uk i I think that sounds proportionate but um clearly it it, it puts off a lot of people because it it just opens up a risk that they simply cannot countenance and that's why i'm urging people to go for three day breaks because you've got a three-day break you test before you leave the uk then you've got your pre-departure test to come back into the uk i don't make the rules i just Mm. Report them, and if you've done that, then um, there is no danger you're going to be uh, tripped over because um, you've already got your test before you've even left the UK. No, sure. What about uh, Israel? I thought I heard a story at the weekend that Israel was considering sort of putting up restrictions on travel from Britain as a result of all of the kind of Boris madness (laughs) that we're all suffering from this terribly dangerous tidal wave of Omicron. Well, I haven't heard that one specifically. I mean, with, with um, what, 200 countries around the world, I'm not following it closely. But um, certainly we are not the um, absolute flavour of the month. And um, <laughs> uh, in particular, I, and this is actually a really, really serious and sad concern for a lot of people who are hoping to head to Spain with their families. Um, Spain is saying, OK, anybody 12 or over, you can only come in if you've been fully vaccinated. And that's fully vaccinated, according to us, yeah. not according to the UK. Um which is scuppering so many family trips. It may possibly change by then, but I'm afraid given the, exactly as you say, tidal wave, um, that probably won't happen. And um, uh, if I may, this is a sort of um, unexpected uh, consequence of Brexit, because if we were still in the EU, then we'd be covered by the digital COVID certificate and um, we'd all be able to go wherever we wanted to go in Mm. the EU. Um, obviously uh, obeying all their um, all the different rules in all the different countries. Yes, I mean, I suppose it would be a very high price to pay to be still stuck in that ghastly organisation, but uh, I'll, let you, I'll, let you get, I'll let you get away with that unnecessary piece of propaganda. Um, it's not a... propaganda, it's a true fact, Mike. <laughs> we only do true facts. Of on, course, on talk, of course, absolutely yeah. right. But everything is, is proportionate, of course. So is uh, Spain's definition of fully vaccinated three jabs or two then? 
No, there's his, there's his two jabs, but a lot of uh, teenagers have mm. only got one jab because, right. and this is as of, I think, two days ago, I was checking, the NHS says, we think that the appropriate protection for teenagers is one jab. Mm. Um, that may be changing, but I mean, we're, we're, we're currently having to do a billion t uh, jabs a minute or something, aren't we? Um, I mean, to, that seems to, to be all the newspapers care about. I mean, you think they have better things to write about, but I mean, I know it's a propaganda arm for the government. It's unbelievable. Um, one final question. <laughs> question for you i see that you've tweeted out about the dismal start to the new railway timetables as if we couldn't have predicted that well look there's some good news the uh, <laughs> first train from middlesbrough to um, london king's cross has arrived in the past 20 minutes um uh, slightly ahead of schedule um so that's good if you want to get to teesside um there's one train a day in each direction but it's better than none for 30 yeah. years good news for rod riddle uh, you can uh, get yeah. out of, uh, of, of durham university and come back to london <laughs> Um, and um, we, we've also got yeah, lots and lots of uh, reinstated trains are supposed to be running, but it all went, um, as they say in the travel industry, tango uniform yesterday afternoon because yes. of a points failure in uh, Newark. And uh, this morning, while things are getting back to uh, getting better, ScotRail and TransPennine Express don't have enough train crew because they are isolating because of Omicron. So it all kind of comes yeah, of back course. to the virus. Yes, it's all terribly familiar, isn't it? Marvellous. Fantastic. Simon, pleasure to see you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Simon Calder there with all the latest from the travel world. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let us say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Well, still at liberty. Well, still at liberty, just about. Um, there is a kind of, I mean, I, I, I like to try and theme the shows that I do. And today's theme, it seems to me, is one of kind of rather unqualified indifference. I feel as I walk around the streets of this great city of ours that people have just kind of been worn down to the point where they don't care anymore what happens. 
Well, I think some of them have been. Uh, and probably the kind of people that you and I run into and talk to in many cases have been. But there's still, I think, a great deal of, uh, of belief in these measures. Mm. And people, I think, I think you'll find a lot more people have stayed at home from work this morning and would have done this time last week. Yeah. A lot more people will be, will be wearing face coverings on public transport and in other places uh, and in shops. And I, I, I'm afraid that the, the, the whole takeover of the national mind by the COVID panic uh, continues to be a major political force and one on which both political parties can rely. And the the reason why the, the, the opposition in name only, as it's been dubbed, the Labour, the Labour Party, uh, feels happy in voting for the measures, which will, of course, secure their safe passage, is that they reckon that at the moment it's much safer for them to do so. Mm. And they, they're obviously free to say, right, we'll abstain and let the Conservative Party tear itself to pieces in public. But in that case, they're afraid of being blamed by by the voters who think that such measures are actually necessary and justified. I'm sorry, I wish it were otherwise. But I do think that still very large numbers of people continue to be persuaded that the response of the government to this problem is, is proportionate and right. And although there is a, a growing weariness among a minority, it remains a minority. And we should be aware of that. Yes, I think that's possibly true. I mean, I kind of meant not so much that people were not for it or against it, but just kind of resigned to it. Either well, way, they, you know. I, well, they, but in what way are they resigned to it? Are they resigned to it in such a way as say, well, right, OK, we've had enough of this. I'm not bothering with face coverings. I can't, I, 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 I'm going to go to work anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm going to carry on having Christmas, whatever they say. I should continue to make holiday plans as normal. Uh, I shall live my life as if as, as if the world had not been taken over by lunatics. Well, some people will do that, but most will still abide by these rules. And the, the biggest public expression of, of allegiance to the to the government and its rules is, as I say, the wearing of face coverings. It continues to be common in the most absurd places, uh, in the open air, uh, where, where, where hardly anybody maintains that it's it's uh, it's useful, and nobody insists on it. Yet people do it. And I, as long as that goes on, I think the what you might call the hypnotism of the, of the mass population can still be assumed to be in place. And as long as that goes on, we're stuck. This is not just a continuing crisis, it's a permanent crisis. I heard someone say as I swam up through the waves of sleep this morning on the radio uh, that it looks as if uh, some sorts of restrictions on travel uh, would persist for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've been for a long time fearing that's true. I love traveling, but I love traveling to, to be free. Uh, the, the, the feeling of, of, of being somewhere else and being free is what I is what I largely do yeah. it for, and the idea of doing it so I can be bossed around by by, by other people's police officers and COVID marshals doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. <laughs> so this makes my heart sink. But I have a feeling that five years from now it will still be impossible uh, even to go to France without having something jammed up your nose mm. on the way out and on the way back. Right. I just find it so repulsive. I can't be bothered to travel. No, I take your point, and I feel exactly the same way. I, the reason I haven't gone anywhere really, apart from the Isle of Wight. Uh, for the last two years is because I didn't want to do all of those things. And I didn't want to sit on a plane wearing a mask and I didn't want to sit at an airport wearing a mask, you know, for hours on end. And then I thought finally I'd broken through and I was going to go to the States, but now I'm not because they just made it too complicated. Um, and I guess at some point or other you have to, I mean, obviously there are some reasons why you have to travel to see family and stuff. Um, but I'm like you, I just, it's no fun for me. You know, I didn't, it's not fun in the same way that if I had to go to a restaurant and wear a mask every time I walked anywhere, I wouldn't bother going. But but I don't do well, that. To the point, yeah, exactly. And it's, you go to restaurants to enjoy yourself, not to be not, not to be told what to wear. Right.
No, exactly. Well, I'm told aware since I left school. No, quite. And you, of course, wrote this weekend about the sort of uh, the creeping, um, unfortunate nature of the, the things that we've given up and, and the fact that you, you don't think a lot of them are coming back. No, I don't think they are. I think, I think we have become, and it's, it's one of the results of the, of the cultural revolution we've been through, we have become a very conformist country. Uh, people are much, much happier if they're fitting in with everybody else, if they're saying the same things, wearing the same things, telling the same jokes, laughing at the same jokes, and holding the same opinions. And you see all this in this, these ridiculous events in Durham University, mm. where the, the, the far from rising up and saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. I mean, we may not like Rod Little. I don't like Rod Little. We may not like, like Rod, <laughs> Rod Little, but, on, for, for, but it's perfectly reasonable for a college head to, to, to describe his students as pathetic if they walk out. I, it, it, you may not even agree with his description of them as pathetic, but it's a reasonable thing to do. And now the poor man's virtually in hiding. Uh, and not merely are, are all the student organisations demanding his head, but the, he's not getting any backing from the other, uh, the other academics. Right. Because in general, as I say, conformism rules. And it's not, it, the thing is, it's, because it's not ultraviolet uh, and people are actually screaming and smashing things, people don't recognise it for what it is, but it has many similarities with Mao Zedong's cultural revolution mm. in China in the 1960s when any kind of nonconformist was pulled down but they, because it's being done in a more peaceful and, and uh, how should I put it, moderated manner, people don't realise how important it is. And also because it's everywhere uh, and it, it encompasses everything, every aspect of life, people don't realise how big it mm. is. It's as if we were ants, which can only see small things and not big ones. Yeah. I can say till, till the cows come home and long afterwards that we are facing a, a great attack on our national liberty and nobody believes me they think I'm, I'm shouting and making it up just when this whole thing began I said this is dangerous accepting these restrictions yeah. how are we ever going to get rid of them and here we are it'll be the second anniversary before we know where we are and it's still going on and people can can, can talk all kinds of gabble about statistics uh, which will leave most people believing that, that we are still in the midst of a major medical crisis. And one thing I have to say, before you, you, you rightly come back and re reply, the use of this word overwhelm. Yes. We're told over and over again that the NHS is going to be overwhelmed. Well, tell me something. Has the NHS ever been overwhelmed? What is the objective definition of overwhelm? Can somebody tell me what they mean when they say the NHS will be overwhelmed? Because in my experience, the NHS is overwhelmed the whole time. Yes. It's such a badly run organisation that despite the huge efforts of its many skilled and entirely charming uh, medical staff, uh, it simply cannot cope with the problems it's supposed to deal with. What is the technical definition of overwhelm? When will we know it's, it's happened? When will we know the danger of it happening has passed? I can't, uh, there's no answer to this. And as long as these vague words are used, mm. we're in this permanent crisis, a permanent state of siege. Yes. Well, as I said earlier today, if they actually took the time to fix the NHS properly so that it did work, so that it did have capacity, so that it did um, have an opportunity to understand that every Christmas and every winter they might need more capacity than they do in the summer then that would be what you would expect them to do. If you were running a company, if you were running a warehouse, uh, which got a big delivery every single December and there wasn't enough room for it, and you did it every year, year after year, year after year, surely at some point somebody would say, maybe you should get a bigger warehouse. Yes, I know. I know it is. It is it's it not is, difficult, it is, is it? But, but, but again, I think every time anybody says the NHS is going to be overwhelmed, they should be asked, if only we still had journalists, they should be asked, what do you mean by overwhelm? Define overwhelm. Yeah. Tell us at what point this will have happened or not have happened. When will the danger have passed? 
it's, it's the vagueness of the, oh, the monster is coming. Uh, the monster is coming, the monster is coming. Well, what is this monster like? What is it called? What is it, where, where, where can we see it? All the time, it's, 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 like, it's, like, it's like parents trying to frighten children. There's a monster, yeah. which is never properly defined, which we're told will come if we don't behave ourselves. And I'm right. tired. It's right. I mean, and of course, as, as if by magic, today, having been told by Boris Johnson last night at his pre-recorded, uh, you know, little State of the Union address, uh, he said, we must all go and get ourselves a booster. Book it now. Let's do it, were his words, right? Apparently, the website has now crashed today. So they're, now, they're now telling people they're telling people not to book the booster because they can't, they can't cope. I wish I'd predicted that. I mean, it is a bit predictable, isn't it? Knowing what we know about all, all governments... Uh, computer functions of course it's crashed yeah yeah i but then again people are rushing off to have these things so they were again we it was it was i mean whatever people's opinions are of the vaccination and i know there are some people who are very passionately against it but there's, there's no question at all uh, but that its implementation was actually quite remarkable and that it has completely changed the situation the, the, the fear of, of covid becoming a serious disease if you get it was hugely reduced by it. So why did nothing really change? Well, that's why do we still go into panic mode uh, over, over figures, which I have to say when I last looked at them, didn't seem to me to be that alarming? Well, they don't appear to be alarming, but we now apparently are uh, taking fright from something that might happen. And the only reason apparently we're doing this is that last time Boris was uh, criticised for not acting quickly enough. So now apparently he's decided to go completely in the opposite direction. This is a kind of madness to it. Well, of course, there is, a, there is another aspect to this, which is, of course, that the more we talk about this, the, the more we forget about the, 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 the pseudo-crisis uh, that, that he was in before about Christmas parties and wallpaper. Yeah. I, the, I don't regard these things as politics myself. I, don't think, I think they're, they're what we resort to in this country because we no longer have any serious discussion about politics. It's, the, it's, it's searching out for the scandals and sleaze and misdeeds by individuals. But... It, it, it is the fear of those developing, which I still think is behind this this, this lurch uh, into a new into, into a new COVID panic, and yet people will get the wrong end of this too. They instead of saying why on earth was it that a year ago it was a, it was a criminal offence to have a Christmas party, which is a reasonable question, uh, they 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 instead they condemn government members are having Christmas parties. It's the wrong thing to get worked up about. The other thing about this, which, which must be evident to any thinking person, is if they were doing the things which they're accused of doing, then, and, and we've had so many instances of this, then isn't it fairly plain that they themselves don't believe the propaganda which they're pumping out at us? Oh, quite. They genuinely believe that holding a Christmas party or even holding a, a Christmas quiz in the office uh, would endanger a single person in that office with this terrible deadly disease which they claim is about to smite us all to the ground. Would they do these things? And the answer is no, they wouldn't. No. So they don't believe it. They don't believe what they're telling us. Right. That's what they should be being And do you not think that that then should have a, an effect on the public as the public should wants have, that? But it doesn't. And it, it just it just doesn't. And people people are incredibly incredulous and incredibly mm. conformist. And this is a result. I mean, I said it before. Of now sixty years of really really bad education, plus the conformism necessarily spread in populations by electronic media. And it, it, this hardly anybody in our society anymore who knows how to think 
or how to question. Mm. I mean, the, uh, those of us who've been journalists, we watch these so-called press conferences where people like, where is the person in this room who wants to ask the awkward question? There isn't one. No. It's not there. I mean, there were one or two... Uh, over the, the others would just ignore it and carry on as it hadn't been asked. There were one or two over the party, but as you say, that's kind of a different... It's not real politics. It's a different story. But I mean, when I see... The front page of the Daily Telegraph this morning, as it, as it is here, one million jabs a day in race to avoid a New Year lockdown. I mean, it's not even news, that, to me. One million jabs. I mean, it's like sort of government propaganda, isn't it? And I'm not particularly well, pick, it is. picky it's, on the it's, Telegraph. It's fulfilled the five-year plan. Yeah. We, we have to have so many so many injections. This is, I, my favourite story about five-year plan is there was, a, there was a huge race to produce a, 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 a certain tonnage of nails in the Soviet Union to fulfil a five-year plan. And they weren't meeting it. And to meet it, they decided the only thing to do was to, was to make enormous nails right. several feet long because they weighed a lot. And, as, and because their target was measured in tons, they right. were able to meet the tonnage target by producing all these enormous Giant nails people, which, of course, had been melted down afterwards because they were <laughs> no use as nails. But they met the target. And this and is what happens once you have targets. Well, that's when you have... Yeah, that's, just, that's how they've ruined our educational system, I think, and probably the NHS as well. So there we are, Peter. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back with a couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, Peter Hitchens is here, Man on Sunday columnist. It is a joke, all of this, isn't it? Why am I feeling slightly detached today? That's what I want to know. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist. Just to go back, Peter, to our original discussion about the Rod Little situation. Um, interesting that, I mean, you highlighted an awful lot of the individuals involved in the protest, but they sort of speak the same way, don't they? They don't talk about free speech. I listened to an interview that one of those guys did with, with Talk Radio last week over the weekend, and he said things like, well... You know, uh, this is not an issue of free speech. It's an issue uh, of um, breaking the rules. And he's upset that uh, um, uh, that Tim Luckhurst had, in fact, in some way, uh, not followed the correct way of organising a dinner and that they should have said that he was coming. But he also said something fascinating where we went, you know, um, yes, you can say whatever you want, but you can't say things that are racist or you can't say things that are transphobic. So he's basically making that judgment on something that Rod Little said. He couldn't name anything that Rod Little said that was, in fact, racist or transphobic. No, well, th- th- this, but then, on the other hand, these things are, are now matters of judgment of the person who, who hears them. If somebody hears what you say and they think that what you said is racist, then under the post-McPherson report rules, then it is so. Uh, and I, I wrote an article at the weekend about how people feel perfectly free to call me a fascist. Mm. Uh, which is completely false and, and doesn't bear any relation to any opinion. And frankly, libelous, isn't it? So, well, it, it's possibly, but I, it, who, who wants to pursue these things? I, mm. it, 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 I just would like people to realise how, how empty the word is. Yeah. But I, I saw recently walking around Oxford, people be, beginning to walk around Oxford with T-shirts. You know, there's this... this, this uh, this expression no platform for racists yeah. well the t-shirts they were wearing had, had the, the the words on them a platform for fascists and showed a picture of the, of the guillotine standing on a scaffold yeah. and these are people wearing this thing and people who if, if you ask them about the death penalty for murder they say no we can't have that that's uncivilized yeah. but they're perfectly happy to make a public joke out of the idea of executing their political opponents oh, yeah. 
Um, I don't think that the the rising generation are that hostile to the idea, first of all, of of imprisoning and secondly, ultimately, uh, of eliminating the people who who disagree with them. Obviously, it's not an issue now, but seeing the the, the gradual change in the political weather in this country, I think it will be an issue within not a a very long time of, of, of whether it will actually be legal uh, to say some things, which is now, it, it, it's now dangerous to say them professionally. You can become unemployed, but you'll keep your liberty. Mm. Uh, but it will actually become illegal to say certain things, and people will be in prison for it. And I don't think that's by any means out of the question in the current... Uh, no, and, great and seemingly... Um, uh, Total absence of opposition. Yeah, apparently the University of Durham also uh, told students if they wish to put um, posters or other messages in their windows at the university, which were in, in, in effect offering to do harm either to Tim Luckhurst uh, or to uh, Rod Little, that that would be all right. They would not force them to take them down. Oh, how interesting. Yes. Yeah, I, again, but someone is deciding. There, there, is, there is increasingly an ultimate authority that says this can be said, this cannot be said. Yeah. And also, certain types of people can say some things, and other types of people cannot say some mm. things. And th- this is the basis of a, of a lawless circumstance, which will, I think, exist not all that far down the road from now, where it will be possible to be prosecuted uh, and quite possibly even in prison for what you say. And I, I don't think it's that far away. Uh, it, so many things which have happened over the past 20, 30 years uh, would have seemed unimaginable before it happened. Mm. But I, I warn people not to dismiss this as a as a fantasy. It, we are really in danger of a society in which it, in, in which it is it, it, the, the whole idea that someone should be allowed to say something you profoundly disagree with is dying. Yeah, and that the and any idea which you disagree with can automatically be classified as some sort of hate crime, whose effect is to damage other people. Uh, and that, that's the way it will be done. They'll say, well, you, it's, this is, we're not prosecuting you for what you said. We're prosecuting you because what you said has harmed someone. Has harmed someone, exactly right, which is entirely subjective and in, impossible, really, to prosecute in law anyway. Just one final thing. Um, you also wrote about the rather laughable crackdown on middle-class drug-taking, uh, which huh. I'm sure is a favourite subject of yours. We've seen it many times before. It's never worked before. won't work this time. Well, it never happens. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. You, uh, you're... you're, you're old enough to remember Ian Blair's declaration on this. I think Sajid Javid, when he was Home Secretary at one point, made the same thing. Yeah. It, as soon as you hear the word crackdown, uh, you know that nothing will happen. Uh, it's just a thing which people say. And w- what the government is doing is it's, it's, it's guarding its conservative flank by pretending to be tough on this issue. Uh, while actually, by, by, by another form of inaction, de facto decriminalizing drug taking on a very large scale and eventually i'm sure that in, in, in some future quite possibly allegedly conservative governments uh, will will actually legalize some drugs because of the huge tax revenues it's the so-called sin taxes uh, particularly uh, tobacco and drink uh, have brought in enormous amounts of money to the exchequer and the tobacco taxes is, is of course now not producing anything like so much they're very much on the search for something else that will bring in this level of taxation and they see it in drugs and i think there's a very strong uh, a very strong faction in british conservatism now which says okay let it let it go let's legalize these things and tax them and make lots of money out of them and what do we care anyway because you have uh, supposedly libertarian organizations like the one i call the adam spliff institute 
they're perfectly happy with mm. large-scale drone taking anyway, as far as I can see. Yeah. Oh, I think many, many organisations are, and I suppose that's wherein lies the rub. But listen, we're out of time, unfortunately, Peter. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, Man on Sunday, columnist, uh, talking to us there about a great many things, including, of course, uh, the erosion of free speech, the erosion of our liberty, the erosion uh, of all of the things that we used to hold quite dear in this country. And there's no question that the erosion is going on, is it not? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, I'll, that'll teach me. Just shut up. Get on with it. Uh, George is here. George, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad. No, no, I, don't, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I get sort of somewhat um, uh, sort of overburdened sometimes with all of the madness that surrounds us in every single part of our lives. And the latest thing from the, from the armed forces is to say to them that they should avoid using certain phrases. I mean, in my view, the armed forces are there to do a job, which is more or less mostly involved with killing people and or hurting them in some way. Um, I don't think it really matters how they talk to people, does it? Um, I guess it depends on the circumstances, but obviously we know that the military is a very different environment from, say, working, you know, in an office or a shop. You know, it's a very disciplinary, very um, up-down environment. And... You know, people, you know, soldiers, officers, they're not always, you know, super friendly or super woke because no. that's not the way the army uh, operates. The focus on the army is is discipline. Um, obviously, if something egregious is happening, like, say, racial abuse or, or real sexist abuse, obviously, that's something that needs to be brought into question. But publishing a list of phrases people shouldn't use, I don't think that's the way you deal with actual issues. It's just sort of over policing, you know, people's conversations and people's conduct just a bit over the top of my opinion. but this is it isn't it i mean surely if you and i mean also if you're if you're in an organization like the armed forces you know there is a, a sort of a top-down structure to it you are uh, bossed around by people in a way which you wouldn't otherwise accept if you were just working in an office you know you wouldn't accept for example being shouted at by the sergeant major i don't even know if they do that anymore but i mean you know you wouldn't expect to walk into your job uh, in um uh, you know uh, where, where you work with politics.co.uk and be told to you know stand up or, or, or go down and you know, give me 20 press-ups you wouldn't expect that but if you're in the army i imagine that you're kind of more used to that kind of treatment so I don't think I think they make themselves look stupid if they put a book out. I mean, it's one thing to call them in and say, well, just make sure that you're not causing offence to your fellow recruits or something like that. But I mean, to actually produce a booklet that shows them 30 pages of which practical words they shouldn't use. I mean, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Mm, It's one of those things that I've not read the booklet in full length, obviously. It's one of those things that. You know, a lot of phrases sort of wax and wane in fashion and whether people find them offensive or not. People reclaim, you know, certain phrases that maybe were once offensive. So it's the kind of thing that even if you think that this is going to work, which it wouldn't, if you publish a booklet in 2021, in 10 years time, even in a year's time, that's not going to be, you know, it's not going to fit in with with what people find acceptable, maybe. So you're kind of just digging yourself a deeper hole. (laughs) I mean, how do you find life? Uh, Georgia as a young woman uh, in the current sort of climate because I read a great piece this weekend by Charlotte Ivers in the Sunday Times which was all about um, how you know different things different things affect different people depending on what age they're at and she was saying that a lot of young people now have got this kind of um, sense of, of, of saying things like oh my I already know that my life is a catastrophe I already know that everything's going to go horribly wrong so they have a sort of a funny way of dealing with that and she said at one point she said to somebody at the Times uh, she said, oh, if that doesn't happen, I'm just going to go and throw myself in the river. 
And she said this this guy looked at her like it was like some horrific, terrible thing that she'd said. But it, she wasn't actually going to kill herself. But it's just how you how you kind of express things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think especially uh, people my age with sort of the grim situation we've grow up, grown up with, you know, post 9-11, financial crash, COVID, we do probably have quite a darker sense of humour, which is ironic because people sort of say, oh, you know, everyone who's young is, is overly sensitive. I don't think that's necessarily right. true. Um, but that's the kind of joke, I mean, I wouldn't make that to someone who I don't know because right. that would come up very strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, I guess she was making the point that there's a kind of... Um acceptance i suppose in in her in her i mean i think she's sort of late 20s in her sort of age group where you know people say that kind of thing all the time and it's not about diminishing the thought of suicide it's not about that it's just more about the fact that they're kind of you know they're over they're over egging the pudding all the time because they're making out that everything is so awful that they're prepared for it to be awful yeah and almost i think it's probably sort of a, a cultural response maybe to the fact that um, obviously you can argue about the specifics, but there are quite high, you know, rates of depression and anxiety in young people more so than there were in the past, or at yeah. least picked up on it more so than we have in the past. Right. Um, so it's natural that maybe people would be making jokes about it more because it's sort of something that they probably have more experience yeah, with. Yeah, because it's coming, it sort of goes full circle is what I'm thinking. I mean, it's like I used to work in newspapers and it was a, well, it was a very pl a place where there was an awful lot of dark humour because of some of the horrible stories that you were covering on a day-to-day -day basis and part of the way to deal with it was that that was kind of what you did and I think things do go sort of full circle you know where you uh, you start to think that you're getting sensitive about something but after a while you get less sensitive to it and then maybe you make more fun of it. Yeah probably um, I would just say I guess there's a place there's a time and place for everything. <laughs> No, well, I suppose so. Um, yeah. I mean, apparently, according to uh, the Secretary of State for Defence, uh, Ben Wallace, uh, he's going to withdraw this particular um, uh, this particular document. Peter Bone, Tory MP, said they should put it in the shredder. Uh, basically, they said, you know, this um, hurtful and non-inclusive uh, guide to language is not something that the army or the armed forces really needs to be pushing. And maybe they should find a better way of actually just educating their... Uh, um, you know, their soldiers and, and, and the men and the women in the in the forces just to to to, to not be the way that they are. Uh, yes, um, and I guess what members of the military will have left after they continue to slim down the armed forces. But it is, I mean, it's, I mean, it doesn't exactly fill you with, with sort of joy that here we are training these fighting men and women uh, who will be absolute killing machines when they get to the battlefield if they're worried about offending people. Um, yeah, obviously that is not, you know, intended to be the priority when you're thinking about training members. I mean, of if you're, the military. you know, if you're sending a couple of attack uh, helicopter attack Apache helicopters into a into a war zone with members of the SAS on them, I don't think you're going to be too worried about whether they're being nice to one another on the way there. Um, no, <laughs> but also I guess this kind of booklet that's been released. I mean, um, obviously it's not necessarily a reflection of people who are in the army. Most of them are probably just normal people. No. You just want to get well, it sounds it, to me you know? like it's, it's a reflection of the actual civil service because the whole civil service at the moment seems to have ground to a complete standstill. You know, we saw uh, that story last week from the Foreign Office where there's practically nobody in the office apart from one guy trying to organise single-handedly an airlift from Afghanistan of thousands of people. You know, we know that the Home Office is, is half empty. We know that DVLA, there's nobody working there. And I think the civil service has got a lot to answer for because they seem to have lots of time on their hands to sit around talking about inclusivity and making sure that people don't feel in some way offended. Yeah, I mean arguably a better way to be inclusive would to actually be competent and let's say 
deliver on um, deliver on the Afghan uh, resettlement scheme and yeah. not have created the absolute catastrophe that was the withdrawal this summer, mm. um, rather than sitting around talking about it, actually doing it. Yeah, but, well, that, um, would like, be, that, would, that would be nice. I mean, how do you find um, the work environment nowadays? Is it is it as as bad as ever? Is it is it? Do you do you have to be careful what you say to people? Are there certain sort of unwritten rules that you all know how to operate around each other? Um, I mean, I guess it depends the kind of on the kind of place you're working. Mm. Um, like when I was a student, I worked in restaurants and stuff with a lot of people my age who I didn't really know. So I wasn't really going to be, you know, I don't know, out there with my opinions or making too many controversial jokes. But right. at other places I've worked, you know, you get to know people and you kind of, you can... Um, you know, you get to know what sort of humour they like and if you get along or not. So yeah. it just depends on the person. But are you sort of I've guarded? never been in... Do you have to be guarded? I've never been, <laughs> you know, in some kind of crazy hostile situation. Yet. Right. But, I mean, you just, just I'm just thinking on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I find my, that, my, that I'm probably more careful in terms of how I talk to people than, than I would have been 15 years ago. I mean, I would just say, you know... I'm polite to everyone, but 15 years ago, I mean, I was a child, so probably maybe I wasn't polite. I don't know. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for making that point. Let's talk about this other story that uh, that's doing the rounds today, which is about a, a woke advent <clears throat> calendar, uh, where apparently one of the uh, holes in it was left empty in order to highlight the problem of slave labour. Now, that to me seems a little bit uh, over the top. It's not really a sort of place to highlight slave labour, is it, an advent calendar? I mean, my first thought was, why was the empty door on the 8th of December? <laughs> um, because Good I don't know what the relevance is. I think International Human Rights Day was last week, but it wasn't on the 8th. I think it was on the 9th or the 10th. So right. there's not even a relevance in terms of the date, which kind of confused me. Um, I think that the Daily Mail is probably a bit unkind saying that it's woke. I, th I would actually characterise it as tokenistic because the problem is, there is a huge issue of, you know, slavery in the modern world, 40 million people trapped in modern day slavery, you know, across the world. But I don't think that, you know, having, some having of them, that kind of some thing of them might be, uh, well, some of them might be trapped in slavery making advent calendars as well, which is kind of ironic. Well, definitely some of them will be. I know that this company says that they do a lot in their supply chain to ensure that doesn't happen, which is obviously fair enough. But I feel like if they want to raise awareness to this, maybe... I don't know, something better, like, a, you know, a leaflet or something that the children can read if their parents, I don't know, want to buy them that particular advent calendar. I just think this is a bit tokenistic because I understand why they want to raise awareness to the issue, but I don't know if this is the place. But equally, when you're reading um, the Daily Mail's piece about this, I think that the parents themselves who are complaining about this calendar, which, by the way, I think costs around seven, eight pounds, which is... No, Pretty I think it's ridiculous. even more than that, isn't it? It's because it's a fair trade one, so they're quite expensive. Oh, right. It's okay. about 13 quid, I think. Yeah, so that's pretty expensive for an advent calendar. Um, you think that the parents would read or look into, you know, what was going on with it. Um, I understand that children who have certain issues, certain conditions can respond differently to things like that. But I think that it's also, you know, a bit over the top of the parents to be really blasting this company saying that it's their fault that their children are crying over this empty you know door in an advent calendar i, I mean i think if your children are crying over an empty door in an advent calendar you know they may have more problems than you know i mean that's also something to be addressed because the company's apology 
is to me even more woke than doing the empty window in the first place. They said, unfortunately, we failed to consider the difficulties empty windows can cause for neurodivergent children and adults. We have more to learn now, considering I do, I do, how we can make our friends. Yeah, I do understand that, of course, you know, if, if children have, you know, autism or ADHD or certain conditions that do affect their behaviour in that way, obviously they're going to respond differently to the average child. But of course there will just be, you know, a load of kids who are basically Mardi because there's no uh, there's no chocolate on that well, day right. and their parents, yeah. you know, should just, just deal with that. It's just really, get on with know, it. Just it get over it. I mean, what about when somebody takes the uh, advent calendar and just empties it and then, you know, your kid goes, where is all the chocolate? And it turns out his brother's had it. You know, that's just the way life is, isn't it? Isn't that how you learn to be a child and then grow up to be a person? You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, you really would. Well, listen, uh, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Georgia Gilholy, there, political reporter at politics.co.uk, commentator with Young Voices. The wokists really have got to grips with all of this stuff, haven't they? I mean, who buys an advent calendar and hopes that it's got some kind of political message in it? I mean, if you wanted to buy a political message advent calendar, that'd be one thing. You know, you could maybe buy the Guardian's advent calendar. You know, every time you open a, a box, there's some rubbish in there uh, that somebody's written for you. And you could fold it out and read it and then put it back. Something like that. But if you're buying chocolate, if you're buying fair trade chocolate, you don't really want there to be a message about slavery around the world, do you? Do you? 0344-499-1000 is the number. Simon says this, I've had a paid-for antibody test too. Blood was taken, uh, it was a, uh, a finger prick, and six months post two times um, AstraZeneca jabs. I have 1969 uh, U slash ML. Now, that's a number that I was given by our earlier caller. I didn't quite understand what it is. Units per milliliter, is that it? Uh, I'm late 40s, healthy. Why do I need a booster? What are they going to take from me uh, if I don't do it? Simon and Elstree. Well, I don't think they're going to take anything uh, from you if you don't do it, but they're obviously very keen for everybody uh, to actually go and get a booster. The only problem now is that there's not enough people uh, administering the boosters, it would seem, because there's people queuing up for them all over the place and there's people trying to get them booked uh, and the system keeps crashing. Here's one from uh, Mark, the Somerset trucker. Mike, I'm so happy that I served in the army when it was all about training you to live on the ground, fire and use multiple weapons, work as a unit. He was in it from 2002 to 2012. When we went to Afghanistan in 07 and 09, we knew exactly what we had to do out there. Um, well, I don't really think that's true. I mean, I have to say, didn't they teach you how to be nice to one another? I mean, if you're in Afghanistan and you're fighting the Taliban, uh, do you really need to have some kind of booklet given to you about how to talk to people? I don't think so. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.